So I was riding home from college over winter break one year. I don't even remember if it was my freshman. It's probably my freshman or my sophomore year of college. And I was on the way home. I was riding up 85. I remember I was about at Isley. If, you, if anybody rides up 85, just South Carolina, North Carolina. And I noticed there was a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And uh, I passed him by, and I felt kind of a pang of conscience. And so I went to the next exit and flipped back around, came back and picked him up. And uh, his name was Ernest. And uh, Ernest looked like a traveling man. He had a duffel bag. He had not shaved um, in, in quite some time. But I felt kind of compelled by the love of Christ to, to kind of stop. And I was a little bit naive. You know, I was, what, 19, 20 years old. And my mom would have probably been very angry had she known that I had made this decision. Because it turns out that Ernest and I had pretty different values. He was probably in his 40s. I mean, the, the way he talked about women made me cringe. I mean, it was very, very different. Um, in fact, um, as we were going along, he, he got me to run some errands for him, which, again, my mom would have been very upset about. So we stopped by a little convenience store, and he goes in and comes back out, and he's got something that I had no idea what it was. It was called Mad Dog, and it, had, it was like 50% proof <laughs> alcohol content. And so he proceeds to kind of gradually over the next 45 minutes or an hour go lights out. But when he's kind of on the way toward going lights out, he had me pull over in like an empty parking lot. And, you know, dumb kid that I was, I said, okay. I mean, he asked me to do it, so I did it. So we're sitting in the parking lot, and, and it's empty. There's no one around. It's at night. This is in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he looks over at me, and, he, and he's, he's half gone now, but he, he has these wild eyes. And he just says one thing. He says, don't worry. I'm not going to attack you. <laughs> so of course like every muscle in my body is tense and I'm preparing for an assault so but then you know not too long after that we got back on the road got on the interstate and he, he passed out and then as we pulled up to Winston-Salem I said well where do you want me to drop you because that's where he said he was going and he kind of directs me off the interstate and, and just to some parking lot next to an abandoned gas station and he said this is fine so he gets out and I, I imagine he just slept it off right there in the parking lot um but at the end, what made it all worth it was he said thank you. Like, and, and he really meant it. Like there, he had no other prospects of getting to where he wanted to be. And even though he was very different from me, I was inspired by Jesus in his you know, admonition to us to not judge a book by its cover and to be willing to serve the least of these. So in the end, I was glad to have helped, even though I was lucky to have survived. And he was very grateful for what I had done for him. But it was also a time when my responsibility, my slate of responsibility was kind of light. You know, I was 19 years old. I was living in the dorm. I was on a meal plan at school. Um, during breaks, I would use my parents' gas card, you know, to go home. And then I would avail myself of their hospitality during that entire winter break. So my, my responsibilities were light. But as I've gotten older, I've noticed an interesting dynamic. You know, now that my responsibility has increased, there's not nearly as much to go around. Not somebody else isn't paying the bills. My attitude's become very, very important. And here's what I mean. When I'm grateful for the blessings that I've got, when I'm grateful for all that I have, it creates what I would call an abundance mentality, meaning that there's more than enough. And when there's more than enough and I feel like I've got extra, then I'm much more likely to be generous. But if I'm ungrateful, if I feel like I don't have enough and God hasn't provided enough and and things are against me, then I have a scarcity mentality. Like there's scarce resources. There's not enough. I've got to clutch every penny. I've got to hold on to every resource for myself, and I'm much less likely to be generous. So my attitude is key. And what I've discovered 
is the importance of what a general, an author named Charles Duhigg would call a keystone habit. It's a habit that if you get this one thing right, it affects many other behaviors. So the discipline of recognizing the generosity of God and others and expressing my gratitude actually conditions and shapes my outlook on life. And from the other side, that of the giver, we all know what it's like to be engaged by someone who needs help, right? You ever had that happen? And initially, our heart wants to respond. You know, whether it's a family member or even a stranger, our heart wants to respond with generosity. And we'll continue to be generous until one of two things happens. Either we run out and we don't have enough to give anymore, or we sense ingratitude, right? When we sense that somebody that we've sacrificed to give to is ungrateful, nothing dries up our generosity faster. Today we're going to talk about a story where a number of men reached out to Jesus for help. And he chose to do something for them that they could not do for themselves. And afterwards, they had an opportunity to express gratitude for what he had done. And through this story, I'm going to make the case for how God wants to use his grace to inspire and shape our response to him and to others. Turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to cover verses 11 through 19 this morning. Luke chapter 17. Beginning in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So here's the first thing I wanted to point out. Jesus is traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And for a rabbi, it was actually illegal for him to even be in Samaria. So I would say that Jesus, and this is something we love about him, he was always pushing the envelope when it came to racism, because there was a lot of racism in their day. He pushed the envelope when it came to sexism. In fact, in John chapter 4, he broke both of these norms by having a conversation with a woman who was a Samaritan in Samaria. I mean, they could have revoked his credentials right there as a rabbi, and he could have been potentially executed. So Jesus was always pushing the envelope. And I think it's because instinctively Jesus knew that redeemable people, people that actually have the potential to be redeemed, are not always who you think they are. And they don't live where you think they live, and they don't look like you think they look. A famous story is told about Mahatma Gandhi, you know, the famous reformer. When he decided that Christianity wasn't for him, he went into a church service in India. It was a big one. And he goes in, and as a native, they invite him to go sit up front on the floor, whereas positions of status were reserved for other folks. And that, combined with a number of other experiences, it's rumored that Gandhi said, I really, really like Jesus. In fact, he patterned a lot of his nonviolent policies according to Jesus. But I'm not too fond of Christians, is what he said. But Jesus was no respecter of persons. And we love this about Jesus. He was just as likely to be talking with the salt of the earth as he was with the emperor Christ. And so the first idea today is that Jesus did not shy away from people who were considered unworthy. Let's pick up in verse 12. And he was going, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance because they were required to and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You know, these guys were unclean. They were required to be separate. They said, have pity on us. Indeed, they were pitiful. You know, patients with leprosy, here's some of the things they go through. 
Disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, curling of the fingers to form the characteristic claw hand. The largest number of deformities actually develop because they, they lose the ability to sense pain. And so they hurt themselves unintentionally. You know, a person in that condition can pick up a cup of boiling water and not even realize it. And then they do a lot of damage. And so with this debilitating condition, with its physical and its social consequences, I mean, they were required to call out, unclean, unclean, to announce their presence so that nobody accidentally came into contact. These men were beyond help. And there was no hope for these guys. They actually had to live in a leper colony, separate from the world and from their families. Now I would say that today there are pitiful people all around us. People who, if they shared their story with you, if you sat down over coffee, you'd be moved to compassion. But to us, they're either concealed or they're invisible. And what do I mean by that? By concealed, it's people who look good on the outside. And some of us look better than others. But they're broken on the inside, right? They're, they look good on the outside. They've got it all together. They say all the right things. They do all the right actions. But inside, they're hurting. They're broken. But then there's those who can no longer hide their brokenness, right? And this would be someone like Ernest. And their visible brokenness, it overwhelms us. It paralyzes us. Until eventually they become like invisible to us. You know what I'm talking about? Many of you volunteer at fish. Who has ever volunteered at fish, which is our local ministry cooperative? All right? I believe, first of all, thank you for that. I mean, I, I love fish and what it stands for and the way that we're engaging our community and that our church is a part of. I believe fish began as a response to this dynamic. People with needs were overwhelming the local churches. They were going church to church to church. And the churches became so overwhelmed, they began to sense that people were becoming invisible. And that's what happens when you're overwhelmed. It's like, okay, we don't have enough. We can't help. No, no, no. And then you just start stop noticing people and they become invisible. So that's what these men in their society, they were like invisible. Nobody even saw them. Nobody even regarded them or cared about them anymore. But these men had heard of Jesus. And they believed enough to ask for his help. They believed not only that Jesus was able to help, but that and he would actually treat them differently than every other person in society was treating them at that time. But Jesus wouldn't regard them as invisible. And maybe that's one of, maybe that's a message God has for you today. Maybe in your life you feel a little bit unimportant, a little bit overlooked. A little bit like you're invisible. But as we'll see in this story, to God, to Christ, not. He notices. He sees you. He sees me. So these men experienced physically our condition spiritually before we come to Christ. We are tainted by sin. We're unable to approach a holy God. And I believe their undeniable condition, they couldn't hide it. They couldn't escape it. They couldn't get around it. It prepared their hearts to be open to Jesus because they knew they needed help. They knew they needed something. And so they cried out to Jesus. So as we've already learned in this story about God, firstly is that God sees people. You and I are not invisible to him, even though we can be invisible to lots of folks. And that God has the solution to our problem. And 
that God is looking for people with prepared hearts. Continuing on in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is interesting, huh? He doesn't just heal them right there. He says, go show yourself to the priest. So if somebody suspected that the symptoms had abated of a disease, they would go to the priest. And the priest would confirm, okay, you're healed. You're clean. You can enter back into society. But Jesus says, go. And on the way, they're healed. So this was an act of faith. Jesus told them to depart before they were healed. And they were healed on the way. Secondly, I'd submit to you that Jesus did something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. This is beyond their power, beyond their control. That's why they cried out for help. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. And here's where we get to the crux of the message. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So one guy came back praising Jesus loudly for what Jesus had done. He humbled himself. He thanked Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. Now not only were the Samaritans considered half-breeds and ethnically impure, but they had also added various kinds of false teachings to the pure Jewish faith. So in other words, this was the least likely person to come back and say thanks. You would have thought it would have been one of Jesus' Jewish countrymen. Jesus did something for them they couldn't do for themselves and come back and say thanks, but it wasn't. It was the Samaritan. You know, a close personal friend of mine owns a junkyard in a neighboring county. And, uh, you know, he didn't go to an Ivy League school. But not only is he one of my favorite people, just so down home, so hospitable, very, but, but lives, you know, in seeming modest means, but he actually has done very well for himself. And he's extremely well regarded by everybody who knows him. And so you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, when Samuel was anointing David as king over Israel, he made this fascinating statement. He said, and I quote, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so to put it another way, you and I, we see outward potential. But the Lord sees inward potential. He sees below the surface. And so not only does God see you today, but he sees your heart. He sees what's underneath. And we can take heart in that. So there was more to this man than met the eye. You know, perhaps as both an outcast as a leper and a foreigner, he knew how unlikely it was that he was ever going to receive any kind of help from a Jewish religious leader. I mean, it was illegal for them to even have a conversation with the guy or come into any contact. And so he understood how special it was that Jesus had not only reached out to him, but it healed him. He knew Jesus had no obligation to him. And I think this also believes or points to the future reality of the receptiveness of non-Jewish outsiders to the message of Jesus. You know, fast forward to the book of Acts, and we see many examples of openness from non-Jewish people, and then example after example of outright hostility and rejection of Jesus by people who should have naturally been the insiders. So again, God sees redeemable people where you and I don't necessarily see them. Verse 17, finishing up. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? 
You know, Jesus was often surprised by lack of belief, but in this situation, Jesus is shocked at the lack of expressed gratitude. Verse 19. Then he said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So here we see that only this, only one of ten actually learned something important. That his faith played a part in his healing. The other men, you know, believed that this was something that had happened to them. That it was arbitrary and wonderful. But this man learned that this was an event that he had actually participated in. So here we learn that God is not just looking for recipients. And we love that, right? I, I want to receive gifts. Who likes to get gifts? Yeah, I love it. And I love to receive gifts from God. I like to receive God's blessings. And Jesus was surrounded day after day by people who were in the crowd. And they said, gimme, gimme, gimme. Bring those blessings, Jesus. Bake that bread. Pass it out. We're here to receive. We're here to enjoy, to consume the blessings. But God's not looking for just recipients. He's looking for participants. People who are wanting to partner with Him. People who are wanting to get in the game and wanting to do something with those blessings. Or like we talked about last week, Jesus isn't just looking for sheep. He's looking for people who are willing to go into training to become shepherds. People who are going to be a partner with Him to find people, to free people, to lead people. And so I would submit to you, lastly, when we don't close the loop, we miss something. When it comes to gratitude, it's like a loop. When somebody starts a generous act, and then we express gratitude, it's like it closes the loop. But when we don't close the loop, we miss something. Just like these nine men, they missed something. They were grateful but they just took that blessing and went on their way. But the gentleman who came back and expressed gratitude and closed the loop, he understood that God had more for him than just a blessing. So when we don't close the loop, the cycle is incomplete. The giver loses, and so does the recipient. Unexpressed gratitude harms them both. And here's how. The giver, you know, when you run into ungratitude, the giver's less likely to give, and so is the receiver, because they've already developed the habit of receiving, but not passing it along. So the big idea for today is that God's grace inspires and shapes our response. And the key habit that I believe Jesus is making a case for here is that expressing gratitude fuels a generous heart. When you're in the habit of closing the loop, of saying things, of expressing that gratitude, it fuels a generous heart. And we know historically that Christianity spread through extraordinary acts of charity. And it was people who weren't focused on themselves. They were focused on their Savior who gave everything so that he could inspire them, he could shape them, he could prepare them to be a force in the world, in his world. So what about you today? Firstly, what, who do you need to express thanks to? You know, what are some unclosed loops, some, un, some loose ends in your life? Maybe you need to thank God. Maybe there's some things that you have not seen or not recognized or acknowledged that God's done for you. 
the ways in which he's blessed you, the ways in which he's, he's given to you. Maybe it's your parents, you know, and, and I, as a parent, I know we're not perfect and we don't get it all right. But most parents, they try, you know, maybe there's some things that you need to be grateful for that they've done for you. Maybe your spouse, you know, maybe a mentor in your life. So who do you need to express thanks to today? And secondly, how do, how do you express thanks? You know, what we learn from this passage is that feelings, I bet you all nine of those guys felt thankful, right? They felt thankful, but they didn't express their thanks. So how do you express your thanks? Firstly, you've got to verbalize it. Doesn't mean you have to necessarily say it. Some of you, maybe not, words don't come so easily. Maybe it could be in a card, maybe an email, maybe a post, I don't know. But you need to verbalize it, you need to express it verbally. And secondly, I'd say be specific. You know, it's real easy to just say, thanks, Dad. You know, thanks, honey. I mean, she's, she's a great servant, and my wife's a great servant in our home. And it'd be just real easy to just say, thanks, you're really great. But I would challenge you to be specific, you know. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for, for parents. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for always being there. You know, be specific. So verbalize it. Be specific. And then the best way that we can express thanks and after we've closed the loop is to pay it forward like we talked about last week. You know, God didn't design us to just be jars of clay that just receive blessings. He's also called us to be conduits or channels of that blessing so we can bless others. You know, what happens, just a little bit of warning, what happens when we don't take time to express gratitude? You know, firstly, it may be perceived as ingratitude. You know, even though somebody might feel it, if they don't say thanks, then how do you how do you view that? It feels like they're ungrateful. And I know I've been guilty of this. I've shared with you about the infamous Christmas jacket, right? Where I, I, I wanted a Charlotte Hornets jacket. I don't know why, I just I thought it looked cool. Um, but my parents gave me an Ohio State jacket, which now I'm a, a loyal fan. But it wasn't what I wanted, and I know that my ungrateful you know, I couldn't, the problem was is I didn't feel grateful, and so I couldn't pretend that I was grateful, or at least I wasn't smart enough to pretend, you know, what was I thinking? And I know my parents felt taken for granted, and maybe there are some of you today, you're reluctant to be generous, you're reluctant to open the hands because you've been hurt. You've given to somebody, you've given to something, you've given to a workplace, you've given to, to you've invested and then in response, ungrateful, entitled. So maybe you felt taken for granted, but again, God sees. God notices. God, there, there is some form of accounting system in heaven, you know. Nothing goes unnoticed. So be encouraged. So if we don't express gratitude... It may be perceived as ingratitude. We may tend to minimize the value of the gift given, right? If I don't express gratitude to you for what you've given to me, here's what happens is I start, I think, well, that was really nice of them. And then I think, but it wasn't that big a deal. And then if you're a child, what happens? You start thinking, you know, I think mom and dad could have could have done a little better. Could have put a little bit more money into this car. You know, they could have given me a better car. They could have given me a better room. Could have given me more vacations. 
And so when we don't express that gratitude, we leave that loop unclosed. We start to minimize the value of the gift given, and we start to feel entitled to more gifts, right? Because if the gifts that we've received weren't all that special anyway, then come on. I deserve better from you, from God, from, from whoever. And then we're much less likely to pay it forward. <coughs> so it starts in our hearts, right? It starts with our attitude. If we're grateful for everything, if we're expressing thanks for every blessing, for every kindness, then it shapes our hearts. And we're overflowing and we're generous people, which is what God's called us to be. And I believe in this season of Thanksgiving, that's the core message. Is we need to be thankful and we need to express our thanks. Well, what if we would allow God's daily grace to inspire and shape our response to him, right? He's been so good. He's been so gracious. And let's let it move us to respond to him. What if we allow God's daily grace to inspire and shape our response to others, right? Everybody you come in contact with, eyeball, eyeball every day. And just let God's grace to you move you. And at least cause you to not be guilty of what I'm often guilty of, which is to just, everybody's invisible. You know, I'm so focused on me and my life and my stuff that I overlook everybody that's out there in my back. What if we would choose to close each gratitude loop in order to receive all that God is desiring to give us? Look at what this man received. So much more than physical healing. A recognition that not only did God see him, but that God cared and that God had plans that he could participate in. If we would become people with a developed habit of expressing our thanks to one another, think of the powder keg of generosity fuel that we'd be sitting on as a body of believers. You know, let's not let ingratitude trip us up and snuff out the unlimited motivation that the grace of God can provide. You want to know what motivated Christians throughout history to do extraordinary things, to sacrifice a lot, and sometimes to give it all. Many times, it was the grace of God. So let's not let ingratitude trip us up and retard our ability to develop full, overflowing hearts, seeing that we have more than enough to contribute to God's mission on this earth. Pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here and for my friends. As, as we come to your word, God, every week, our desire is to hear from you. And so I pray, God, that you've spoken clearly today and that you've let us know that we have so much. Even though there's a lot of hard things, God, even though we have hurts, we have things that trip us up, God, there's things that are not perfect, God, and, they're in, and maybe there's some of us here today that feel invisible and, and unnoticed and overlooked, but you have given us so much, God. If nothing else, you've given us Jesus. You've provided forgiveness in eternal life through him, and for that, we're so, so grateful. And God, we pray that you would Inspire us to express our thanks to you and to others, to, to fuel that attitude of abundance so that we could be generous people, God. And it's tough, you know. There's so many times we feel like there's not enough money in my own pocket. How, how could I even begin to think about being generous to others? But that's what you've called us to, and that's what you model for us through your perfect son, Jesus. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray.